0: Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz.
1: The octopus movie. (laughs) (laughs) The octopus movie. I think that is the moment (laughs) that they lost everybody.
2: Yeah, what was the the line that they said in that acceptance speech? (laughs) They said, if humans can learn to live with (laughs) octopuses, what else can we do?
1: (laughs) Republicans and Democrats could only
2: make friends with an octopus
1: (laughs) they could get along
2: hello once again I'm Lou Katz and I want to welcome you to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment (laughs) and here's how we do it we bring on our host the senior entertainment reporter the one the only Arch Campbell
1: thank you Lou and hello everybody and this week is very special to us because uh uh we get to speak with a dear friend whom i respect and admire and she of course is one of america's leading voices of film criticism uh we know her as the chief critic for the washington post let's say hello to Anne hornaday
0: hello hello arch <laughs> hello lou hello everyone it's,
1: it's so exciting to speak with you again ann and you know uh when we talk like this, it's a reunion of the podcast you and I enjoyed for a couple of years with oh, each other.
0: We had fun, didn't we, over there at Chatter?
1: And I, every time, ta- you know, every week or so, I think I want to ask and this, I want to ask Anne that. So let's jump right in, and I'd right, like let's... to start this way. What are you watching just for fun?
0: Oh, good question. Well, I just finished. Lupin.
1: Oh
0: that's a Lupin. Or Lupin. You know, you can call it Lupin. But that I think is just a kick in the pants. Do you do know, have you seen this one yet?
1: I know. Tell me more. Oh, Where right. is Lupin?
0: Lupin. I've read
1: about it.
0: Oh, it's terrific. It's a Netflix series, a French series that's on Netflix with the great Omar C. And most people remember Omar C as the guy who sings the David Bowie songs um, in The Life Aquatic, according to Steve Zissou, <laughs> or not according to, but.
1: Yeah. And
0: she plays San Lupin, Gentleman Thief, you know, this literary oh. character. Wow. And it's in a contemporary Paris. It's been kind of transposed to contemporary Paris. And it's a caper, it's a caper flick Pulled in, you know, five or six episodes. I think the first, the first season was five, and there's they're going to be um, releasing the second one in June.
1: I'm a janitor at the Louvre.
2: The artwork that I clean, they're worth millions. Next Friday, a foundation will put a necklace up for auction. The necklace belonged to Marie Antoinette. We're going to steal it. Go in as janitors and come out millionaires.
0: It's wonderful. He's terrific. It's a very handsomely produced show. It's a lot of, mm. you know, it's, it's light. It's not, it's nothing terribly deep and that's what I'm in the, I'm in the mood for right now.
1: Have you I'm started sure. Mayor of East Town?
0: No, because like opposite light, you know, I I'm I'm picking up I'm picking up kind of um, dark and depressing vibes from that. And I just, that's not where I want to be right now. Mm. So how about you? Is that what you're, is uh, that you're, uh... Yes,
1: I'm totally obsessed with it. Really? Yes. And the, and the writing is such that they completely manipulate those of us <laughs> who get involved in it and end every week with a cliffhanger, which oh. very often the next week turns out to be nothing. Mm. but i kind of you know i i feel like i'm i'm following a dickens series oh
0: well that's actually high praise well then maybe mm-hmm. i'll give it a chance but i don't know i really you know me with my british yeah cozy shows yeah. you know i just i don't know i guess i'm still in that um mode of wanting to be cocooned i'm trying to think of what i was watching before lupin i was you know my husband and i finally watched Shit's creek you know of course we're the last people in america to watch you Creek. you and me oh just it's so it's just delightful you know it's so humanist i mean it's just a uh-huh, uh-huh. It's funny but it's not mean or snarky or cynical it's just a really beautiful and of course it's just a showcase for the great catherine o'hara i mean
1: oh god she's oh, good god
0: so that's where that's where my head's been at lately. You know, I just well want, I respect I want, that. Yeah, I want Staying joy and beauty and kindness. Side. Yes.
1: Yes. Now this is an interesting time for us to speak because we're kind of coming at the end of eighteen months of quarantine, and evidently things are beginning to come back to normal. And I think we're both wondering what the new normal will be. So I've I have Put this question this way to you, because you know my roots go back to the '60s and 70s uh, in film when i uh, that's when I really got my passion for movies, and uh, when their niche was the cool thing that you couldn't get anywhere else. so I'm wondering, what is the niche for films today in oh. the future <laughs>
0: <laughs> well my fear my fear is that this will you know in in order to get people back into theaters okay two two part two part answer maybe even three but as you know what's happened in the intervening decades is that hollywood has really doubled down on that full blockbuster full cgi special effects decks, superheroes comic book thing as a business model and i kind of feel that in order to get people back into theaters that's what they're going to even double down more on. And that makes me sad because I've always argued, and I think our friends in the exhibition business would also argue that that's not the only thing that gets people into theaters. I mean, I'm thinking, of well, obviously you have genres like horror that are theater, you know, that especially teenagers want to go and watch together in theaters and that's fine. But I'm thinking of things like Girl's Trip, you know, or Magic Mike, you know, those those one-offs that people walked to, because they were fun to see in a group. And I kind of feel like that, that's the kind of film that you're talking about when you talk about the 70s, you know, those one-offs, they weren't part of a franchise, they weren't meant to be sequelized necessarily, they were just good movies that got you out of your house on a Friday night. And I really, really hope that, you know, they, I, I just feel like now more than ever, that part of the ecosystem is being seated to the streamers and i that makes me a little bit sad um i, I, wonder,
1: I wonder if film will be thought of as the two-hour standalone movie as opposed to uh the streaming series as opposed to the weekly series as opposed to the to the 60 episode epic uh, that you yeah. binge, I don't, is that a fair question?
0: Well, you know, this is a conversation that I've been ha- actually having with a lot of people mm-hmm. sort of in the industry and around the industry is like, what, and the and the Oscars kind of brought that up this year, I think. What yeah, is a movie yeah. anymore? I mean, actually the Tina Fey and Amy Poehler monologue at the golden globes kind of captured it when they said you know a series is something that i'll binge for 26 hours straight but a movie is something that's two hours long and i, I don't have the time you know it's kind <laughs> of like this weird. we're in this weird headspace and and it, it, there's a i think there might be a little psychological truth to that and then i also feel like on the other hand that when we talk about the generation coming up they don't really you know it's visual storytelling it's all visual storytelling and it almost doesn't matter what you call it so that sentimentalists like you and me who still think that there is such a thing as a movie that you watch in one sitting, it has a beginning, middle, and end, and you have a catharsis. And, you know, on a good day, you might go out and see it in a theater with other people, but you don't have to. You know, sometimes you see it alone in your house. I still think that that's a discrete aesthetic experience that people crave. And, um, they, and I think they still crave the theatrical part of it. And whether and what that looks like going forward is it is, is it only going to be kind of, you know, I think coming out of the pandemic, the independent art house world is really well positioned to survive. Just yeah, yeah. They are. They know their audiences so well. They've they've connected with their audiences over this last year. They've kept them on side, and they've also been able to take advantage of not just the people, you know, the government grants, but but grant grants, you know, they can, a lot of them are nonprofits. So they've been able to tie themselves over. And maybe even a few of them, I think, are in a position to expand. So then, are we going to have this kind of theater culture that's the multiplexes for the spandex movies, you know? And then we'll have these little dis- bespoke community oriented hubs that show more of those middle range and independent films. You know, it's, I just, it's going to, there's no doubt it will shake out in a way. But it's, again, that middle class of films that I'm a little bit, I just don't want to see them go away and I don't want to see them only go to streaming.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Charles Broden passed away uh, this week and uh, I was very sad to read that. And I was remembering uh, walking in to see The Heartbreak Kid in like exactly. 1973, directed by Elaine May. Brilliant. And, you know, when the really cool people were doing the really cool things. <laughs>
0: I know. That's, That's just it. the kind of movie I'm talking about. Uh-huh. That's exactly yeah. the kind of movie. I didn't
2: want it to happen. I didn't plan it. You're good. You're good. You deserve better than me. You deserve much better than me. Oh,
0: Lenny, you're dying. Oh, Lenny, you've got something and you never told me. Oh, Lenny. I'm not dying. Who said anything about dying? I went out of the marriage. Was that based on a novel? Was that like a Bruce J. Friedman novel or
1: something? Yeah, or it might have been a short story. Yeah.
0: So, but it, but again, to your point, that was the time when Peter people like Peter Bart and Bob mm-hmm. Evans they were adapting novels. You know, that's what they yeah. were, that they were going. It's not like, you know, we're in this age of what they call IP intellectual property. They've been, you know, IP has been a part of cinema since the beginning. They've always adapted stories. So it really that that's a good thing. It's just, what are they? You know, it doesn't yeah. have to just be comic books and Spider-Man. You know, I mean, let's there are like, like the Godfather was a huge the, shot in the, the dark. G- no one saw that coming. Um, and it
1: was a paperback novel. It was exactly. a trashy was, novel.
0: And you know, like Love Story, which was also done at Paramount. I feel, uh-huh. you know, my sense from talking to the people that were around them is that it was all part of the cultural product of the corporation. In other words, yeah. the publishers and the studios were kind of in cahoots mm-hmm. and acted like, a, you know, like a development, a development entity. And it was a force for good then, because they just ended up doing these incredible things that, you know, uh, yes, The Godfather ended up having sequels, but it wasn't made to have, you know, 17 sequels, you know.
1: No, no. Um,
0: and so I just, I worry, I worry about that kind of thinking that, it's, that it just has to be, it has to look like one thing in order to be considered a success and i just don't think that's
1: true now you mentioned the golden globes which uh brings up the uh controversy over the golden globes and now the uh cancelization of them at least for this year and uh what are the implications of that
0: i i think the hollywood foreign press association has has earned criticism i i mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a relatively tiny insular kind of trivial organization I mean. You and I have been on those press, those oh, yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that, and they're they're demeaning rituals that sometimes you have to mm-hmm. engage in in order to get the story you want to get. But there are some people who just live on them, you know, like that's yeah, there, yeah. and they and they enjoy them, and 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 I always kind of associated those two cultures, and maybe not fairly. But putting all of that aside and putting aside the obvious work they have to do in terms of diversity and inclusion and equity, you know, I remember years ago, I need to look and see what movie it was for. Kevin Costner won a Golden Globe for something he had done. And his speech, in his speech, he, I think he put it really well, which he said, thank you to the Hollywood Foreign Press, because this kind of show gives my kind of movie the visibility it needs to find the audience. And that's really what it comes down to. It's all marketing, you know? It's all, And so when you kind of take away the ridiculousness of it and the the uh, even the kind of unseemly parts of it, if it's elevating worthy films, which often they will do, then I'm all for it, frankly. Even though I know it looks silly and self-regarding to, to civilians, it really is a crucial part of putting these, again, these mid-range films that can't afford blanket TV ads and things like that. It really makes a difference for those films. So
1: that might so have been that. for dances for wolves.
0: No, it was after that. It oh, was, was actually, it? yeah, it was within the last, I think, five, five or ten years at mm. most. Maybe while we chat I can even look it up. But I thought he put it really well and I thought and I admired him for kind of telling it telling it out loud. Because people don't often say that. You know, they'll kind of obscure that This is all the marketing plan. And that's, you know, I don't think it should be obscured. It's like, well, if that's what it takes to secure your position within a Hollywood that otherwise will ignore you, then do it. You know, I mean, there's no shame in that. It, you know, of course um, that's what Harvey Weinstein was famous for kind of weaponizing, you know, was the award circuit. And so, yes, it gets cynical and yes, there's way too much money. And, but generally I think it's, Often for, for worthy projects that deserve the attention and can go on and become really successful, you know, thanks to the just just thanks to the uh, awards awareness.
1: Well, so what are the implications of no golden globes uh, in 2022?
0: Honestly, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I I don't know that it's going to be that seismic. I mean, I, you know, on the one hand, I kind of feel that it's a little bit less. I mean, just coming from the studios and the filmmakers' points of view, that's one less chunk of change that they have to worry about spending, because the spending really is kind of crazy. Right. Um, and then they'll just focus on what, whatever the Oscars are, and we don't even know, we don't know now when the Oscars will, will be. Are they going to push them back again? Are they going to be in April? You know, that there's, that's kind of the big, that's the big question mark.
1: Uh, uh, speaking of the you? of what the Oscars. <laughs> you brought up the Oscar. Oscars. <laughs> I noticed the other day somebody interviewed Billy Crystal, and uh, because of his film that just came out, and uh, during the interview uh, they brought up the Oscars, and his first reply was, "Oh, I'd hoped you wouldn't prank that up." Oh, gee! And then he went on to say that he thought the broadcast wasn't entertaining. What's your take on the, I don't see
0: the lie. Well, here's my, here's (laughs) what, here was my experience. So see if you agree. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me, let me back up. I I don't hang out in Hollywood very much. You know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a creature of Hollywood. I don't really know the Academy that well. It's a pretty, pretty, you know, tightly knit group and it's hard to know who's in the Academy. And, but I do know a few I've over the years, I I actually met a few So a couple of years ago, I, but I've never been to the Oscars, and I've never actually really quote. I've never really enjoyed watching the Oscars. To me, it's just a mm-hmm. slog, and it looks like a slog to sit through. Frankly, I've never wanted to go because it just. But <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, I interviewed Gina Davis. I was doing a story about Gina Davis, where the, she had received the Gene Herschel Humanitarian. Right. It was an incredible honor, uh, and it, but it was and it was completely different, um, you know, because one was for acting, and that's what you typically think. Uh, an Oscar is about, but um, that I would ever get, uh, you know, a special Oscar for humanitarian efforts is not something that I planned. In the course of reporting that, I got to go to the dinner where they honor those special Governor's awards honorees. And that's held in, like, that was in October, months before the actual ceremony. And I'll tell you, that was a cool event because it's a, there's a cocktails reception and a beautiful, I can't remember, I think it was actually held at the Kodak, I think it was at the Kodak Theater, wonderful cocktails, then you go in, nice dinner, the people's former co-stars show up to honor them, it felt, it was big, but it felt intimate, and it obviously wasn't televised, so it felt exclusive and glamorous, and I thought, oh, this is the real, you know, this is the real thing, this is really cool, so then this year's Oscars, when they did that pre-show at that party at Union Station, where people kind of yeah, came, yeah. Up, that felt like that to me. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed looking. It was a beautiful scene. Everybody looked great. It was kind of lively and fun and bubbly. And, and it felt very much like that night to me. And then when Regina King strutted into that room, holding her the Oscar, huh. I got a shiver. And I thought, yes, they're doing it. And then it just nosedived at yeah Yeah. but i do think there's something in maybe they should invert it and make the party the tv show and then because (laughs) because the the awards to me look like they must have been really nice for the people in the room you know i mean it was a very intimate it kind of went back to the roots of the thing where it was all on radio and they were in a room and nobody watched so maybe we should just invert it and and have the cameras at the fun part you know the party <laughs> um and then show the speeches kind of on social media and stuff because it, it was it was a, i was I felt really I felt badly for Steven Soderbergh and his co-producers because I'm sure they they put all their best into it, but it just didn't, it didn't work
1: well, is there award show uh, uh ennui award show are we just tired of all the award shows because now there are so many
0: there are so many and they're so rote, you know, and I think going back to the golden globes by the time you get to the golden globes even though i don't think i don't believe that there's i mean the golden globe voters are are completely different than the academy you know but the golden globes can remind people can kind of put something top of mm-hmm. mind that other people can write down so it does have an effect that way but they're very different but by the time that's true that by the time you get to the Golden Globes and the Oscars, if things are feeling stale and you have all these front runners that are kind of foregone conclusions, then, yeah, there's not a lot to be excited about. And, you know, when you try to kind of inject excitement by switching the the awards at the end of the show,
1: oh, that was, that was just a disaster.
0: You know, it's like, yes, tinker, but God, don't tinker with the base. Like, don't tinker with the thing that, I don't know, just felt like the wrong Thing to futzle.
1: And they were expecting Chadwick Boseman to win uh, that uh, posthumous Best Actor award, and he didn't, and I'm still puzzled by that.
0: Well, I think the way I heard Soderbergh explain it was they weren't expecting him to win, but they knew mm-hmm. that there was a chance that he would. And if there was a chance that he would, that you can't go back. You know, like once his widow makes one of those stirring speeches that she was given mm-hmm. all season, He's like, you can't go back to normal after that. That's got to be your final word. So they, I think, were hedging more than being sure. You know, they were just kind of gaming it out, like, what if, and we know we can't do this, so we just got to do it that way. That's the way he explained it. But, you know, I was well, kind of, I was happy to see Anthony Hopkins. I thought Anthony Hoffman's deserved it.
1: that well, was a wonderful film. That was, a, was wonderful a wonderful performance.
0: Totally. Like I, you know, and I, and I kind of feel, I feel that, the surprise factor in bozeman not winning was mistaken for disappointment on my part and i wasn't disappointed you know that it was a strong year for acting it because when you especially when you count riz ahmed i mean i i could have mm-hmm. i could have seen him sneaking in too because he mm-hmm. just did a magnificent mm-hmm. job in that movie
1: the uh, sound of metal is an extraordinary film we're talking about Sound of Metal. We're talking about The Father. And uh, I don't think either one of those found much of an audience, which is makes me sad.
0: I don't know about Sound of Metal, and I'm not sure. So, that was Amazon, so we're not... I don't know if we even know those numbers. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, The Father is interesting because that's a Sony Classics movie, and Sony yeah. Classics did not give an inch when it came to um, giving up theatrical. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in... You know, I know that The Father right around the oscars and it might have been the week after it did go to they kind of they timed it they timed it shrewdly to capitalize on the awareness so that people could watch it at home by that time and its numbers exploded it it, it did like 600 times what it had done previous so i want to circle back with our friends at sony classics and find out like just how did it you know how did it impact.
1: What do you think of the $20 download? I
0: think if you're a family, it makes total sense. I will uh-huh. admit, I did. I was doing a, a radio show where I was asked to weigh in on Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar, you know, Kristen yeah. Wiig, and I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. So I had to pony up my 20.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I would say, that was a little
1: ouchy. Uh-huh.
0: That's a little ouchy.
1: Yes.
0: Like, you don't want to be doing that. Yeah.
1: For just you alone, you know, if you're by yourself, 20 bucks is a lot to pay for something that might not be as good as you want it to be.
0: mundo. But if you're uh, a, even a couple, though, I think it amortizes, don't you?
1: I guess. I guess. It's a
0: psychological I, barrier, though, isn't
1: it? The other night, I paid $1.99 to watch uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle That's a fun, from 25 exactly. years ago. <laughs> Who the movie about, Dor- Alan Parker directed. Okay, it's okay. F- full of cameos of young uh, people who went on, like, uh, 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 to do other things. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's the life of uh, Dorothy Parker.
0: Oh, Jennifer Campbell's- Jason Lee.
1: Jennifer Jason Lee, thank you, is Dorothy Parker. And, uh, and Campbell, Campbell Scott, Scott right? isn't he, uh, Benchley?
0: Oh, how fabulous. What, is it? Is it good? I can't remember if it's oh, good or not.
1: I loved it. I oh, just good. loved it. And oh, well, it was then a, it
0: is good. $1.99. Hey,
1: nothing
0: <laughs> wrong with that. What are we going to do about all these um
1: subscription streamers? How many do people my...
0: do? Like, what's the limit?
1: My cable bill is about what I used to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's what I it. made at my first jobs. <laughs> it's
0: so true. It's so. But we can write it off at least. But you know, I pity the. I pity our friends, our our civilian friends. Like they're having to make some tough. But again, I I think the family. It's like you have kids, and what do they want to watch? You
1: know? uh, we're really not getting figures for uh, streaming revenue, are we? No, and, not really. No, and they don't want to release some.
0: No. And when they do, I don't believe them. I mean, you know, they've been so there's no transparency whatsoever. So I kind of take that with a grain.
2: We're going to take a brief break right here with our podcast. Arch and Ann will be back in just a moment with a look ahead into the world of movies. But first, how about a little fortune? from Hound Radio. Like you, Hound Radio welcomes the return to pre-pandemic life, and maybe you're looking for ways to boost your career opportunities. If so, Hound Radio and Fortune have an excellent opportunity you need to know about. They've just introduced their all-new Fortune Education Hub at fortune.com education. The site features helpful insights and articles, as well as an ongoing series of rankings focused on the best programs to advance professionally. As part of the launch, Fortune has also released their list of the top MBA programs of 2021, which features locally the University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business at number six, George Washington University's School of Business at 14, and American University's Kogod School of Business at 19. Impressive. And to celebrate, Hound Radio is offering you a free premium Fortune subscription, which includes complete access to Fortune.com and their archives, Fortune On Demand, original video series, and much, much more.
1: My name is Molly Hayward, and I'm the co-founder and chief brand officer of Cora. Cora is a modern women's wellness company.
2: Winning is simple. Just register now at houndradio.com. Remember, you never stop learning, and Hound Radio never stops loading its bowl with life-enhancing features and maybe a fortune for you.
0: At the movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands.
2: We're
1: talking movies, and, and I think we are feeling that life is going to go back into the next phase. What are you looking forward to seeing?
0: Well, have you been in a theater yet?
1: No. Have you? I have. Oh.
0: I, I my, oh, how was it? Well, it was lonely because I was the only one in there. Because that was that was my own that was my comfort level. I'm not yet in a place where I can be with other people mm-hmm. in a the theater. Unless I know for sure that they're fully vaxxed, but I don't think people can actually I think people don't feel comfortable asking that question. So
1: I fear that I'm gonna go into a theater and somebody's gonna pull out their phone and the light is gonna obscure the screen and I'm gonna get uh, angry. Oh, and don't then even, someone will cough.
0: We don't want to be around Arch when he's angry. <laughs>
1: someone will see like the hulk i'm always angry <laughs>
0: it's just that thing that sets him off
1: That's what I to see. Hold
0: out. <laughs> how quickly his chuckle turns into a growl <laughs> no but it was it was fine uh yeah so i did i made that big leap but i'm not i'm not in any i'm not in any desperate rush you know, to get back into the to the plex um, right now, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to In the Heights. I mean, you know, weirdly mm-hmm. enough, at the Oscars, those ads for In the Heights and West Side Story were the most exciting. Like that was kind of like, ooh, movies, yeah, they still make them.
1: Here's the other thing uh, you mentioned: two uh, Disney movies, In the mm-hmm. Heights, and uh, I'm thinking of Cruella and Yeah, Cruella. Uh, uh, you know, these Disney Plus movies suddenly we're in this uh this uh merger mania yeah. where uh it's gonna be uh a t and t versus Disney versus Amazon. How do you feel will that uh impact content
0: it will and it's going to impact you know it's if, if there's a there's a there's a faction of film fans and they're not wrong who who say hang on to your dvd you know own as much physical media as you can Mm -hmm. because that that, you know as we know about disney and how they've been so shrewd about withholding their catalog over the years yeah it worked for them and made everything an event when snow white came back or when you know Mm -hmm. um but we're gonna they're they're going to control what we see and when we can see it and i don't think people have fully internalized that yet you know we're a lot of our cultural patrimony is going to be in their monetizing hands, and how they steward that material is really important, and I'm not I'm not 100% sure how that's going to go.
2: And Arch, let's find out more from Discovery CEO David Zaslav. Right now, we're spending $20 billion of content today, and we're, we're going to execute on that synergy, but we're going to spend more money on content. Right. Wow. <laughs> but you know, the thing I love about you
1: is I think you're an optimist. I am. <laughs> I think I you're am. a cockeyed optimist. You're right. That's that's what I like to be.
0: Pollyanna, that's me. I'm an optimist because I feel that I don't more of what I hear from the people who email me and when I do go out in public and I uh-huh. meet the read, you know, the yeah. Washington Post yeah. readers, they still want to see movies in theater, you know. And and that's true of young people, too. So I think it's a mis, misunderstanding to say, well, young people are all screaming all the time. No. The the young people I know, that's the first thing they're going to do when they can is go back and see Mm. a movie in the theaters. So I don't I don't think that's going away. I really don't.
1: And you have hope for the movie industry.
0: I do. Again, you know, getting back to your point about the 70s. Yes, there will be contractions in exhibition. There's no doubt, especially in the big chains, because they are so overextended. Mm. But yeah, but it really comes down to the movies themselves. You know, it's that it's that weirdness of a girl's trip or a magic mic. Uh-huh. that wasn't that wasn't those weren't engineered in a lab you know those weren't yeah. those were just well done and they knew their they knew what they wanted to do they did it well they executed highly and it worked and audience you know it, it's really that simple it just it comes down to giving us something to go out and see and we'll go and we want to see it together and have fun and it sounds so simple but it's really hard and that's why you know that's why Hollywood keeps trying to formalize it because it's so difficult to to kind of bottle that lightning. But, there, you know, I do have faith in the creative, the creative impulse out there. You know, I think there are real people with, with intellect and, and creativity who can make things we want to see.
1: I just so love talking to you and I so thank you for your time. And of course, I follow your work in the Washington Post and on WashingtonPost.com. And I also appreciate that not only do you uh, review and criticize film, but you also keep us up on what's going on on the business side. And uh, the two are connected.
0: They are. I try. I'm I'm the first to say I'm not an expert. My colleague, Steve Zajczyk, is the business guy. He Uh, will forget more than I'll ever know about the business of movies. But you're right that they're connected. You know, it is an industry. Yeah. And and I it's like that great quote from Jack Nicholson in that um there was a great documentary about Roger Corman a few years uh-huh. ago. And Jack yeah. Nicholson said, A filmmaker who doesn't understand money is like an artist who doesn't understand paint. Mm-hmm. It's an art form, but it's also a media, a mass media vehicle. And to you just need to understand all of that to to kind of um make your way
1: through well ann <laughs> i miss you and i, I love you speaking with you and thanks so much for your time
0: thank you my friend it's great to see you and hear yeah. you yeah
1: yeah we're virtually seeing each other this is almost like the old days of chatter
0: <laughs> it is if yeah. only we had known it was this easy to do it on zoom
1: <laughs> i could have just
0: phoned it all in all along that wouldn't have been any fun at all It's
1: better in person. Uh, Lou Katz uh, carries us on Hound Radio, and we so appreciate that. And we're on all the other streaming services, too. And, Lou, how should you wrap up this reunion?
2: Well, I'm a a big fan, whether it's good or bad, of uh, Saturday Night Live. And Anya Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gamut is hosting the season finale Mm. this weekend. So we got a little Queen's Gamut theme we'll wrap things up with. And next week, uh, some news on the DC Film Festival, right, Arch? Oh, yes.
0: This is the Cats Podcasting System.